Thank you, David. You're welcome. Good morning, Woodland Hills. Hello, Podrishners. It's really good to be here with all of you. Before I start, I'd just like to say um, I want to really encourage us to keep uh, the folks in Florida in prayer. Um, just, I mean, it's unthinkable. Uh, put yourself in the position of, of uh, one of the parents uh, who lost a loved one, a child, and the position of the survivors who are just traumatized and and, and just pray for them, uh, and pray, pray for our leaders. Uh, the Bible tells us to pray for our leaders and to pray for peace. So pr- let's pray and be praying that our, our leaders will know the ways that make for peace. Um, this is the 18th mass shooting uh, this year in, in, in America. Uh, it's just unthinkable, uh, eighth or ninth in school. And so uh, just be praying for them, that they'll have the wisdom and the courage to do what can be done to, uh, this doesn't keep on repeating itself. Also, uh, a preliminary uh, word, um, the series that we're going to be starting this morning is one that will likely generate some questions in your mind. And we love questions around here. Um, in fact, the, the last message in this series won't be a message, it'll be a Q&A time. And we'll take the questions that you've sent in and uh, uh, we'll, we'll address them here. I am I'm in Paul Eddy. And so any question you have that is generated from uh, this series... Uh, make sure you text it in. The number is 651 Supplies limited. Call now. Visa MasterCard accepted. So, um, yeah, <laughs> we, we like some good questions. You can ask anything. But the, you really can't ask anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean we're going to answer it. But, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll give a priority to those questions that come out of uh, this series. Uh, here, here's the background to this series. A lot of you know that I... Uh, I was a new Christian. I've been a Christian about a year, year and a half. And then I went to the University of Minnesota and lost my faith. I didn't want to lose my faith. I, I was miserable losing my faith, but I just felt I couldn't believe it any longer because it seemed to me that I confronted stuff that disproved Christianity. Uh, and I've met a lot of people, and I, I obviously found my way back to the faith. Otherwise, I wouldn't be up here talking to you. But I've met a lot of people over the years who, who left the faith for similar reasons as I did, um, but who never found their way back. And what grieves me is that as I look back on the reasons why I thought I could no longer be a Christian, and I hear the reasons why these folks give as to why they think they can't be Christian, it seems to me that, that those are altogether unnecessary. I, you know, they found some problems in the Bible. A lot of times it, it's issues with the Bible. They find a contradiction or, or mistakes or historical errors and things like that. And they think that that means they can't believe the Bible's inspired, so then they can't be a Christian. And I'll, I'll address that in a couple weeks, uh, issues with the Bible. Others, you know, they think that, uh, they become convinced that evolution, there's something true about evolution, and they think that that means they can't be a Christian, or they, the Big Bang, uh, they're convinced that something like that happened, and so they think, or any aspect of science, they think it, it, it just refutes Christianity. Or sometimes they come to the conclusion that, you know, they, 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 they think they're supposed to believe that everyone who's not a Christian goes to hell, and, and they can no longer believe that, so we think they have to give up on, on Christianity. And for some people, it's just the very concept of hell, which they think is eternal suffering, and they think they have to give up on Christianity. And, and um, as, I, as I, I look at the, all those kind of reasons, it's like altogether unnecessary. Um, and the, the, the statistics on the number of young people that are leaving the church are quite alarming. And not all of them are for intellectual reasons, but some are, and it's usually those kind of reasons, and it's altogether unnecessary. And so I got... Concerned as I read the statistic about the percentage of young people that 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 are start college as Christians but don't end that way, um, 
I got concerned for our, our, our youth. And so I asked our uh, Echo team if I could come and, and talk for four or five weeks. And they said yes. And so I, I did this series, and I just want to offer them a way of holding on to the faith that isn't threatened by all those kind of issues that, that will stand up to scrutiny, whatever's thrown at it. I, I, I didn't want them going to the universities or wherever they're going to go and, and have a faith that is vulnerable. And it, what renders it vulnerable is that people assume certain things have to be believed and those things are not defensible. Uh, at least, to one degree or another, not defensible in light of some of the critiques that it's being subject, subjected to today. Well, this, the, the series apparently went pretty good because the leadership of Woodland Hills Church said, hey, you need to be preaching that in the auditorium to our adults. Because we're living in the same environment, seeing the same kind of issues, same kind of problems, have the same kind of questions. And even if you're... Don't, even if you don't have those questions, the culture does. And as a missionary, you need to know about where the culture's at. Uh, and, and even if you don't have those particular issues, your child may sooner or later have those issues. Uh, or a neighbor or coworker. So we want to be equipping people on how to interact with, how to respond to um, some of the uh, objections to Christianity that are out there in the culture. Um, I'll tell you, if you're visiting for the first time, uh, this series was, will be atypical of us. Uh, most of our series, we're, we're pretty steeped in Scripture. But this is a, a, a series that's on the truth of Christianity, and so it won't be as steeped in Scripture as we usually are. We'll have Scripture for sure, but it's not going to be based on Scripture. So if, you're, if having a lot of Scripture is really important to you and you're visiting here, don't judge us on the series. <laughs> Stick around for the next one too, and then uh, see how that goes. Um, so we're entitling this series, Sure. Uh, because we're asking the question, uh, what can we be sure of, or at least reasonably sure of, in this maze of truth? Getting clarity in the maze of truth. Uh, but we also, it has this connotation. A lot of times when people hear what you believe, or they'll say, oh, sure. And it's a way of kind of dismissing it. Like, okay, you have your belief, I have mine, sure. And, and there's this kind of skepticism towards all truth. And so it's a, it's a double entendre. A double entendre. That means it has two meanings. Sure, two meanings. I don't know if it works even, but it's a cool title. So there you go. So this morning I want to ask what is really the most uh, fundamental philosophical question you can ask, and it's a very important one. It's foundational to everything else. It's a question that Pilate asked Jesus when Jesus was on trial. In John 18, it says, Pilate asked Jesus, so you are a king? That's not the question we'll be discussing. Uh, Jesus answered, you said that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world. Here it is, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Then Pilate asked him, what is truth? What is truth? That's the question. It's kind of interesting in the narrative of John, that question never gets answered. It just sort of lingers there. What is truth? And the, the narrative just moves past it. But it's a question that obviously is being asked a lot today. There's a lot of, well, in fact, some have said that we're in a crisis of truth. I don't know if you've heard commentators say that, but, uh, you know, we, 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 people are living in this question of, of what is true news and what is fake news. And, and what, are, what are true sources of information and what are false inf sources of information. In fact, turns out, we learned a couple days ago, that now we've got to be wondering uh, what is American news and what is Russian news. Because <laughs> apparently they don't, do not believe everything you read on the internet, all right? Just lock that in. Uh, but yeah, so it, it, the whole thing gets kind of confusing. And, and even some of the institutions that we trust to tell the truth. Uh, um, th th some of those are being called into question. Uh, yeah, so people are now having different ideas of where to go to find truth. And, and they don't agree with one another. So there's facts and then there's alternative facts and there's truth claims and alternative truth claims and, and, and it, it goes on from there. 
Some people are really concerned about this, saying that you can't have a democracy unless you have a shared body, however small, a shared body of, of information that everyone agrees is true. Uh, and and, and you, democracies, won't, democracies won't work unless you have some institutions that are just where people assume that they are telling the truth. The whole thing will implode without that. Now, if that gets you depressed, don't be, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer, be very depressed. But if you're a believer, you, you, your trust isn't in democracy in the first place, right? Your trust is in Jesus Christ. All right. so, so lock that in. But this is an important question for us uh, to, today. Uh, I want to start by giving uh, a historical, a little historical lesson as to how we got in the mess that we find ourselves in. Uh, this crisis of truth, the question of truth. You got to go back to like the early 1500s. Between the early 1500s and the mid-1600s, um, there was, in this 130-year period of time, almost nonstop Christian-on-Christian violence. Christian wars. Christian fighting other Christians in wars. Uh, for theological reasons, for political reasons, and it was always a combination of both. Um, but uh, it, it was nonstop wars. In, in that period of time, we had 28 different wars that, 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 that were going on. Catholics fighting the Anglicans who were fighting the Lutherans who were fighting the Calvinists and, and all of them, the one thing they agreed upon is that the Anabaptists had to go. So they all were persecuting the Anabaptists. And to the credit, the Anabaptists is the one group that wouldn't join in the fun. Uh, they refused to fight back, which is why I am happy to call myself an Anabaptist. But it was, it was bloody. It was terrible. The most famous, probably the most famous of these wars was the Thirty Years' War. Uh, it involved a number of nations, but it was fought mainly in Germany between 1618 and 1648. And it was ruthless. It was terrible. It was, it, it, the population of Germany was lowered 30% uh, because of this nonstop wars. It was just brutal. So it got to the point in 1648 where the secular authorities, the kings of the various nations, got together and they said, you know what? This is costing us a lot of money. Uh, and this is what we like. We've got to find a way to stop killing each other, to keep these Christians from killing each other. And so they, 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 they composed a, tre a treatise. Uh, it's called the Peace of Westphalia. This is a real important moment in, in Western history. The Peace of Westphalia. And it basically just ruled out killing for religious motives. You can't kill anyone because of what they believe. And it's Christians, you can no longer burn people at the stake because you think they're a heretic. And Christianity hasn't been fun ever since. Those were the good old days. You know, you could really stand for something. Now it's just like, hey, I gotta love everybody. Uh, but they, 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 they called a truce to all religious killing. And war still broke out now and then, but, but, but it was against the law. Uh, here is where tolerance was introduced into Western culture as a primary value. Uh, we've got to find ways to tolerate each other uh, and, and keep, keep from killing one another. And, and so tolerance becomes a, a, a primary virtue in um, uh, Western culture. To help people get along, people of different faiths get along, it helps if the state isn't aligned with one of those faiths. And so here, the idea of having a purely secular state, a neutral state, had been around for a while, but now it begins to gain traction. We need to take religion out of politics and, and, and have a state that is neutral to all different faiths. And so this was the creation of the secular state. And that began to uh, move Western culture down a road of secularism, where religion gets more and more at the margins. Um, 
I've heard and read Christians who blame secularism on the humanist and the evolutionist and the secularist and the whatever, liberals, uh, but actually it's the fault of the church. If the church had been being the church and had been obeying Jesus and loving one another instead of killing one another, uh, we wouldn't have needed this secular state, but it was the church's failure to be the, in fact, I'm of the persuasion that almost every problem in Western culture is a result of the church not being the church, but that's a different sermon. So we, we head down this path. Now this, this, uh, this tolerance thing, which is good, I think we'd all agree that's good to tolerate one another. Uh, it, it, it intensified significantly over the last 100 years, especially the last 30 years, because Western culture has become more diverse ethnically and religiously. And so now it becomes very, very important that we learn to tolerate one another and respect each other's differences. But while that is good, everyone would say yay to that, it has had an interesting effect on the very concept of truth. Uh, and we now live in what's called a pluralistic society. Uh, there's a plurality of different beliefs and plural, plurality of different lifestyles. And, and, and um, uh, that has had an interesting effect on the way people think about truth. In the past, for the most part, in the past, leading up to up till about 100 years ago, most people died with the same beliefs that they were raised with. And, and the reason is because for the most part, up till 100 years ago, with, when technology began to shrink the world, uh, most people lived rather quarantined lives. Uh, you, you, you were surrounded by people who basically saw the world the same way you did. And it's easy to believe all your life that you're right when you never meet someone who will challenge it, when, when everyone agrees with you. But when you're in a pluralistic society, and you, get, you rub shoulders with, maybe even befriend people who have, have different religions and different ways of looking at the world. And you see that they're smart people and they're godly people. Maybe they put your piety to shame. Well, that begins to challenge your faith. And you see all these different beliefs and you begin to wonder, well, how do I know mine's true? How do I, how do I, maybe my, you know, maybe they're right. Um, living in a pluralistic environment also heightens your awareness of how strong an influence your environment plays on what you believe. Uh, how you're raised, the culture you're raised in, the experiences that you have. And, and you begin to see that if you were born in the same house as that person, raised with the same family as that person, had the same culture as that person, uh, you'd probably be a Muslim too. Or whatever other religion you want to insert in there. Um, and that raises in the question, maybe my beliefs are simply a result of my cultural conditioning. How do I, how, how do I know mine's true? In fact, some folks have come to the conclusion that Beliefs or tr truth claims, claiming something's true, that is simply a reflection of your culture. Um, and that leads to the conclusion then that we can't really talk about truth itself. The tr an absolute truth that applies to everybody. Because uh, we can't get out of our, in in our cultural conditioning. And, and so all we can do is talk about personal truth, private truth, your truth. I don't know if you heard Oprah uh, at, at the Grammys when she gave her passionate speech, but she kept on saying, your truth. Women, you need to speak your truth. It, it, you know, tell your truth. Stand in your truth. And, and you get this, like, truth has become sort of a private commodity. Not like I'm talking about the truth with a capital T, but just my truth with a small t. And I don't mean to pick on Oprah. I love Oprah. She's a wonderful lady. Uh, if there's Oprah fans here, don't feel offended. Um, I, I don't know if I'd vote for her for president, but she's a wonderful person. But, but she's reflecting the cultural ethos, your truth. Truth has become a private commodity. So just because you believe something to be true doesn't mean that a person who disagrees with you is wrong. No, they have their truth and you have your truth. Truth has become relativized. This is the relativistic concept of truth. Truth is relative to you. 
Uh, it, it depends on you and your perspective, your experience. And no one can say that anyone else's belief system is wrong just because it disagrees with you. I can't speak about truth with a capital T. And now our culture has evolved to the point where if you believe something is absolutely true, meaning it's true for all people, such that if someone disagrees with you, they're wrong. If you believe that, um, you're seen as being arrogant and narrow-minded. It, it's... Enlightened people, this is especially true in academic uh, environments. If you're enlightened, if you're wise, if you're open-minded, then you just know that everyone has a right to their own truth, and you just know that no one's in a position to say that someone else's truth is wrong, so long as they're not hurting anybody, because peace of Westphalia, that tolerance doctrine governs all. So there are some rules here, you can't hurt anybody, but as long as you're, with, you're tolerating others, well then, then you have a right to your own truth, and no one can challenge that, or say that you're wrong just because they believe something differently. It's just sort of known, it's, it's the mantra. And, and, and if you don't agree with that, if you think you have a truth that applies to everybody, and that those who don't agree are wrong, well, then you're arrogant and narrow-minded. You're not one of the enlightened ones. You're not wise. You're not open-minded. You're narrow-minded. It's, it's, it, this is why I think Christians have kind of an inferiority, 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 yes, complex, because they can't talk. <laughs> No, I, because on some level we sense this. We're, we're seen as being dum-dums for believing something is true. Enlightened people don't have that. No, they, they just... And then this has been injected with steroids in the last 20 years, this, this relativistic concept of truth. And the reason is because of terrorism. People notice that it's people who believe they have the absolute truth who drive planes into skyscrapers and, and, and blow, up, blow themselves up in subways. In fact, throughout history... It's people who believe they have the absolute truth that applies to everybody that do all the religious killing. And so now, in light of this terrorism, now if you believe something to be absolutely true, you're not only arrogant and narrow-minded, you're dangerous. You're dangerous. And, and, and that fuels a lot of this antagonism to people who make absolute truth claims. The world would be a lot safer place if everybody just accepted that their truth is just their truth and doesn't mean that, that, that it has to apply to other people. In fact, a lot of young Christians these days are absorbing this ethos in our culture and are applying it to their own faith. They'll say, yeah, uh, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, but that doesn't mean he has to be the Lord and Savior of everybody. If, if Buddha works for Buddhists and Allah works for Muslims, well, that's, that's fine too. And so they've kind of redefined their faith to, to, to acclimate to this relativistic culture that we find ourselves in. And we have an inferiority complex because of it. Now, how do we respond to this? I'm going to say five things. Five things in response to this relativistic concept of truth. And the first one may surprise you and may even offend you, but please don't leave until I'm done, because uh, hear me out on this one, and then leave. So um, one thing is I think we have to grant that religious beliefs are dangerous. I, I think we have to concede that point. Historically, it's irrefutable. Religion has done a lot of good in the world, Christianity and other things, but they've also done a lot of killing and a lot of harm. And here's why. If you hold a belief to be the highest good, more important than life itself, this is the most important thing, this belief, then sooner or later you will feel justified killing to protect that belief or to advance that belief. And since religious people are inclined to hold to their beliefs as the greatest good, more important than life itself, they sooner or later, invariably, feel justified killing uh, people to protect that belief or advance that belief. So it makes sense to say we should all get rid of this, these absolute beliefs. So will you all just lose your religious beliefs? Go home. God bless you guys. See you later. 
I know we're not going to end there. There's one exception, and only one exception to this. And that is, if among the things that you think are the greatest good, that these convictions that are more important than life itself, if one of those beliefs is the belief, the conviction, that you are called to love all people and never engage in violence. Hallelujah. Amen. If, you, if that is your greatest good, then by definition, you can't be killing to protect it. Uh, by definition, you've got to be loving people. It is the, think about this, it's the only conviction, the only ideal that can't possibly lead to violence. And some ways, I haven't worked this out yet, but that seems to confirm its truth. I don't, at least on an intuitive level, that's got to be true. It's the only belief that, 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 that won't generate violence. In fact, that rules out violence. And the thing is, is that conviction that we're to love everybody and not engage in violence is implicit in the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because Jesus modeled for us and taught us that, that we're supposed to love everybody at all times, even our enemies, and we're never to engage in violence. We're supposed to turn the other cheek when struck. So to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, if you, if you understand him correctly, and there's a lot of folks who, who, who don't, but, but if you understand, in fact, Jesus made your willingness to love your enemies and to refrain from violence the condition for being considered a child of God. It's the sign of being born again. People always ask, yeah, what, what, what's the evidence you've been born again? Do you read the Bible more? You, no, well, he, the one that Jesus gives us is we, we, we commit to loving our enemies and refraining from violence. So to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and to hold that is more important than life itself. If folks do that, they'd rather kill, be killed than kill. Um, and so the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord is an absolute truth claim, but it's not of a dangerous kind. Uh, every other belief you have, it could lead to violence, but not this one. And so the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord is not part of the problem of religious violence. It's rather, listen to this, it is the only possible solution to religious violence. And actually, until every person on this planet is confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and understanding that that means that you love everybody and don't kill anybody, until that's the case, there will be religious and politically motivated violence. Uh, if the greatest good doesn't include loving people and not engaging in violence, then you will eventually feel justified killing and hating people in, the, in order to protect that belief. Jesus Christ as Lord is the one belief that, that doesn't lead, lead to violence. And the good news is that Paul says that will someday happen. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now we won't have any more school massacres. I, for one, am saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus, after this week. Okay, second response. Does anyone here notice anything funky about this statement? There is no absolute truth. Absolutely, someone said. Bingo! I, it's, I am negating the statement in, 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 as I'm making it. If, there is no absolute truth. Uh, well, if that's true, it's false because I just gave an absolute truth. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, or all truth is relative. Oh, is that true? Uh, that's an absolute truth claim. It's like me standing up here and saying, everything I'm telling you right now is an absolute lie. Am I telling the truth? If I'm telling the truth, then I'm not telling the truth because at least one thing I'm saying is true, namely that everything I'm saying is a lie. It's a self-refuting statement. This position, the position of, of, of this, this relativistic conception of truth is self-contradictory. And you can do a person some good if you can show them that the, their belief system is self-contradictory. Or you just may tick them off. I don't know, but, but it, it, you know, I, I would try. I had a conversation with a distant relative a number of years ago um, 
And, and he was really into this, uh, you're enlightened if you think everything's relative, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And, and, he, and he was really, full, I mean, he was a know-it-all and, and looked down on anybody who disagreed, which is kind of narrow-minded if you think about it. But, but uh, and he especially looked down on Christians. And one time we were having this discussion. I tried to get out of it, but I, 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 there was no way. So I ended up having it. And, and it, we got into kind of some philosophy and stuff, and he's doing his relativistic thing. At one point he says, you know, I, I, I honestly, I feel sorry for you Christians. And it's just so patronizing. I went, oh, because we're such dum-dums? <laughs> he goes, well, you have all these beliefs. You have all these beliefs. And it's like, okay, yeah, we, we have beliefs. Uh, what of it? He, goes, well, he says, well, beliefs are ruts. They're just ruts. A person comes to a belief, they, then they stop thinking. They just conclude. And they stop evolving. Uh, it, 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 it limits your potential. Beliefs are all ruts. And I said, you really believe that, don't you? And he goes, absolutely. <laughs> well, you're obviously sharper than he was because he didn't notice this for a minute. I, you know, I dropped the mic and stepped back. And... Uh, <laughs> About 20 seconds later, he goes, oh, dude. <laughs> then he got mad at me for trying to checkmate him. But that's what he was doing with me. Uh, so it may not turn out well, but, but the, the point is, it's, a, it's an incoherent uh, belief system. It's self-refuting. The third thing is this. Truth is always narrow, so don't be embarrassed by the fact that you're holding to a particular truth. So think about this. Truth is always narrow. Because truth is what corresponds to reality, and there's only one reality. There's only one fact of the matter. Uh, you know, for, for, what is two plus two? Four. <laughs> this congregation is so smart. Um, <laughs> now, if you thought five or three or six or two or any other number, there's an infinite number of wrong ways of answering that, but there's only one right one. Truth is always singular, because reality is singular. Uh, error is multiple, if not infinite. It's like that for every question. How many grains of sand are on the planet Earth? How many stars are there? How far is the Earth from the sun? How far is the moon from the Earth? How many people are on the planet right now? How many people died yesterday? How many people are going to be born in the next 10 hours? I mean, every question like that. How many hairs do I have in my head? Less than yesterday, but there's still a finite number. And God knows what the number, uh, but, but uh, uh, there's only one right answer to all those questions, and there's an infinite number of wrong answers. Uh, truth is always narrow, so don't feel bad about believing in a narrow truth. Think of it this way. It's not what you believe that makes you open-minded or narrow-minded. Because what you believe is always singular. It's always narrow. That's not what makes you narrow. What makes you narrow is how you believe it or why you believe it. Uh, did, you, did, you, did you conclude this belief was true because you actually thought about it? Uh, is there a rational process that leads to it? And are you willing to hold this belief while being open to others speaking, raising objections, and talking about it, giving other perspectives? If you are, you're an open-minded person, even though the content of what you believe is singular, because the content of what you believe is always going to be singular because there's only one fact of the matter about the way the world is. If you hold this belief just because you were told it was true and you haven't looked into it, but you refuse to consider other perspectives and you get mad if someone challenges you, well, then you're a narrow-minded person. Sorry, but you are, and even if you're believing the truth. Uh, and by the way, that applies to the statement, all truth is relative. Why do you believe that, 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 that belief? Um, have you thought about it? Is, is, is that the rational conclusion? Or did you just sort of drink the Kool-Aid? And most of the folks I talk to who hold that belief, especially in academic circles, it's just they drink the Kool-Aid. They absorbed it from the culture. All truth is relative. All truth is relative. And they believe they're wise and open-minded for, for, for believing it, but actually they're very narrow. Because if you challenge them, they'll get ticked off, and they have no reasons for, 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 for being ticked off because they have no reasons for holding to their position. 
Uh, so, so it's not what you believe that makes you broad-minded or narrow, but it's, it's how you believe it. I encourage us to hold to the absolute truth claim that Jesus is Lord, but to do it in an open-minded way and do it for rational reasons. Know why you believe what you believe. Uh, if you need help on that, we've got a lot of resources out in the bookstore uh, that, that talk about these kind of things and um, can ground you in the truth. Fourth thing is this. No one actually really believes this. A lot of people think they believe this, but you know what a person really believes by how they act. If you want to know what a person believes, look at their actions. Don't listen to their words. Look at their actions. And no one lives consistent with this position because it's impossible to live consistent with this position. Because there's only one reality that's out there, and we all know it. Uh, imagine you and I, for some weird reason, are talking, having a philosophical discussion in the middle of a highway on a moonless, dark night. Uh, why? I don't know. But we, there we are. And, and as we're talking in the middle of the highway, we notice two lights approaching us. And I wisely surmise that a car is coming, so maybe we better get off the highway. But you say, au contraire, uh, that's not a car. That, 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 those are two motorcyclists ran, riding in tandem. And, and if we just stay in the center of the road, the, the, they'll pass by on both sides of us. Now, okay, here's the thing. We disagree about what those two lights represent. What is the truth about that? We disagree. But hopefully none of us would be so stupid as to think that maybe it's a car for me, but it'll be motorcycles for you. <laughs> you see? Reality doesn't work that way. It's one or the other for both of us. And we'll know what we really believe by looking at how we act in the next 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm getting off the road because <laughs> I think it's a car, and uh, I think you'd be wise too uh, as well. Because even if you're right, you don't gain anything. But if you're wrong, you lose everything. So get off the road. So we all act as though we, there's a shared reality that, 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 is, that, that presses in on all of us. And so truth is just what corresponds to reality. And since there's a shared reality, there's only one reality, well, then truth can't be relative. Truth can only be relative if reality was relative, but we all know it's not. And that applies to, to moral truths as well. Oh, this is a popular one. Hear this all the time. Uh, you know, everyone has their own ethics, uh, beliefs about what's right and wrong, but that's, that, that's dependent on your culture and, and on your experience, and, and, and it's relative to every person. So, so what's right for me might be right for you, it might be wrong for you, and vice versa, but no one's in a position where you can say that what you're doing is wrong, and certainly never think that it's sin. That, that's outlawed now, uh, but you, you can't even say it's wrong, because it's all, you know, who are you? We all have our own personal reality, we all have our personal morality, and that's just how it works. But the thing is, if you're talking to a person who's espousing that position, here's a great way of refuting it. Um, uh, take up the parking space. Just as, they're, just as they're turning into that space, you cut in there. And watch how non-relative they become. That was unfair, that was wrong, that was unjust. Oh, really? They assume that there's an ethic that applies to both of us. Uh, you can respond by saying, well, no, that, that's your truth, but my truth is that this is a good thing. Nothing unfair about it at all. And if you really want to be snippy, you could say, well, all truth is relative, and apparently it was open for me, but it was closed for you. <laughs> oh, well, what are you going to do? We all live. You know, people claim relativity when they have a pet little behavior they want to protect. Uh, but uh, outside of that, we, we all operate as though there's, there's a moral truth that applies to everybody. How else could we have an international council on, on, on human rights? that recommends sanctions to countries that don't meet minimum standards on how you treat women, on how you treat uh, children, on how you treat immigrants, and how you treat political opponents. That presupposes that there is a standard that all nations are held to. 
Otherwise, you'd have to say, look, at if in, in those countries they think women are objects, well, that's, that, that's their truth. <laughs> and and you have to, if they think sexual trafficking of children is, is, is okay, who are we to judge them? No, we all assume that this applies to everybody. So there's a, there's a morality. Part of the shared reality is this moral code that transcends culture and personal preference. Which raises the interesting question, if you have a morality that transcends uh, nations and, and personal preference, how do you have that unless you have a moral being that transcends nationality and personal preference? Because last I checked, only beings can be moral. Rocks can't be moral. Laws of physics can't be moral. Where is this reality of the moral code residing if not in a moral being? But that's for a different topic. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that later on. So uh, uh, no one lives consistent with this position. And the final refutation, probably the most important refutation, is simply this. Jesus made absolute truth claims. Uh, and I have got good reasons for thinking that his truth claims are true. And I'll share some of those in two weeks. Um, yeah. But he made absolute truth claims. And if he's right, that itself proves that not all truth is relative. So he said things like this, John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. How narrow-minded of him. Um, but see, that, 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 that truth claim is no more narrow than the truth claim, I'm one of the ways, one of the truth, one of the lives. It, 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 all, tr all truth claims are narrow by definition. The only relevant question is, is, is this one right? Now notice Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the ways, one of the truth, one of the lives, one of the sources of life. He, he claims to be the whole thing, the whole king caboodle. I am the way. No one goes to the Father except through me. And as hard a, a sell as this is in our pluralistic culture, that means he's ruling out every other possible way. There's no other way, there's no other truth, there's no other source of life, and no one goes to the Father except through him. He's either right or he's off his rocker. And sorry, young Christians who are buying into this relativistic thing, who want Jesus to be your Lord, Jesus is my Lord, but I'm not going to oppose that on anybody else. Well, you know what? Jesus doesn't give you that option. He just doesn't. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. So you have, to, he, he's, you have to believe he's either telling the truth or he's off his rocker. And I respect people who say he's off his rocker because at least they're being consistent. What's not consistent is to think that you're actually believing in Jesus when you're making him one of the ways and one of the truths because he doesn't give you that option. You, you have an imaginary Jesus, a Tinkerbell. You know, it's, it's, it's a fiction of your own mind. And this also applies. I'm starting to sound like a fundamentalist up here, and I? <laughs> Jesus Christ is Lord and ain't no one else. Uh -uh. I like it. I like it. Um, um, but he, 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 this also applies to those folks, and there's many people who do this, even in the church, who, in this relativistic culture, we treat truth sort of like a, a smorgasbord. Pick and choose. And, and especially in America, where we have, get to have it our way. This is a Burger King religion. Have it your way. I want a little pinch of, you know, this, this piece of Buddhism. I like a little pinch of this, you know, this crystal that will give me more psychic powers and, and tea leaf reading and astrology. And I like the little, little, little oh, here's Jesus. I, you know, he, I have, he has to be on my plate too. Um, well, Jesus won't be put on your plate. He is the plate or he's nothing at all. <laughs> he's a full meal. And I, I, I am all for I'm all for learning from other faiths and finding, you know, valuable things in other faiths. I'm not against that at all. But see, when it comes to the way, the truth, and life, either Jesus is right or Jesus is wrong. You can't make him one of the ways. That's a fictitious Jesus, an imaginary Jesus. You might as well call him Tinkerbell. The real Jesus doesn't give you that option. You either got to accept him and it's all or nothing, or you got to reject him. That's, that's the deal. That's the deal. Uh, the real Jesus won't be part of uh, your Burger King religion. Uh, he wants to be your whole faith and, 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 and 
with no, no extra, no pickles, no lettuce, no cheese. He, well, whatever, the analogy has run its course. I better shut up. This is what you find throughout the New Testament. Um, uh, every page is, uh, is, uh, it has something to do with this. So Peter says this uh, to the Council of Jerusalem. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but it's become the, the cornerstone. In fact, Jesus is now the foundation for everything God is building in this world. Then he says, listen to this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Oh, does that sound narrow? Uh, but the only relevant question is, is, is Peter telling the truth or not? Is he right or is he wrong? Are there many names by which we can be saved, or is there only one name by which we must be saved? And I've got good reasons for thinking he was telling the truth. And it, with that, it, so if I accept this, it means I, you know, Confucius and Buddha said a lot of wise things, uh, good things, but they don't save anybody. And, and, and uh, Leo Zhu was a wise guy. I love him. He's the founder of Taoism, uh, but he, he doesn't save anybody. And I like the stories of Krishna and Vishnu and the, and the Bhagavad Gita, but they don't save anybody because there's only one name under heaven by which people can be saved, and that name is Jesus Christ. Amen? If the New Testament is right, if the New Testament's right, if Jesus and Paul and Peter and the whole New Testament is correct about this, and that's the only relevant question, well then we have to just lock it in uh, against all the relativity of our culture that there is one Lord over all and there's one God and there's only one word of God, there's only one perfect revelation of God, there's only one image of God, there's only one Savior, there's only one mediator between God and people and his name is Jesus Christ, amen? Uh, he's, there's only one Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that can wash us clean and, 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 and transform us from the inside out. And his name is Jesus. There's only one that we can look to with the hope of ultimately uh, ridding the cosmos of evil and bringing about the kingdom of God. And his name is Jesus. He's a, it's a name above every name. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords, and God of all gods. And there is no other. There is no other. You can either accept that as true or dismiss it as false, but that's the deal, and that's the deal. And yes, it's narrow, but every truth claim is narrow. This is no more narrow than believing that all truth is relative. It's the same thing. There's only one fact of the matter. Is it true or is it not? And here's what I'm saying. I am not saying that all non-Christians go to hell. Um, if that was the case, then... God would be leveraging people's eternal destiny to a large degree on where they're born and when they're born and how they're raised and, 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 and through no fault of their own. Uh, would a loving father do that to children? Would you do that to your children? Uh, you might as well believe in predestination where Jesus predestines them to go to hell. And, and I find in the Bible a lot of indications that, that there's plenty of people that end up in the kingdom of God um, that, that didn't know Jesus explicitly during this lifetime. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all these folks in the Old Testament. Uh, and Paul tells us, well, that God's working everywhere to get people to, to find them, find him insofar as it's possible. God judges people based on the openness of their heart, not the content of their head. Um, so, so I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. And this is, I think, this, the implication of believing that Christ is Lord. Is that if anyone is saved, whether they know it or not, they were saved through Jesus Christ and not through anyone else. Because there's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. And his name is Jesus Christ. Lord of all, Savior of all, King of all. Amen. So folks, uh, right now in this culture, you know, we're, we're missionaries called to this culture. So we have to be aware of the zeitgeist, the, the spirit of the age. Um, there is an increasing prejudice against any who would make absolute truth claims, especially on religious matters. Um, you're seen as being narrow-minded and arrogant for even holding that belief and to think that others could be mistaken if they don't agree. And it doesn't help one bit 
that many, 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 many Christians in America are arrogant and narrow-minded. Uh, so our job is cut off for us. It makes it all the more important for us to, to not water down our beliefs to accommodate the culture. We, we've got to hold to them, uh, believe it not the true, but not hold to them in arrogant and narrow-minded ways. So it's very important that you know why you believe this is true and not something else. In fact, the Bible commands that. Be prepared to give a defense, Peter says, of the faith that was within you. He uses the Greek word apologia, which is, we get the word apologetics from it. Be able to give a rational defense for why you believe what you believe. Telling someone that this is how you were raised just feeds into the narrative that all truth is relative. Oh, and see, so you just confirm that you're just a product of your culture. No, there should be something more than that that you can offer folks. And again, if, if you need help on that, we've got a lot of resources out in the gathering area in our, in, our, in our bookstore. Look into that. And then we have to be humble and loving and not only how we hold this and being, you ought to be secure enough in your faith that, that you're not afraid of people asking questions. If what you believe is true, you've got nothing to fear, right? And so you can calmly, rationally, lovingly uh, get input, look at other points of view. Uh, it will stand. It will stand. Uh, if you know why you believe. And then make sure that as we sh express this, we do it in humble and loving ways. Paul says that, that everything that we do, 1 Corinthians 16, let everything that you do be done in love. Everything. Including discussing the faith. And in fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you can have all knowledge and understand all mysteries, you know, and win every debate, but if you're not, if you're not motivated by love, it's altogether worthless. A clanging symbol. And so I always tell folks, if you're in a debate with somebody about faith or whatever, and winning the debate is more, becomes more important to you than showing the other person that you love them and care about them, then do the kingdom of God a favor and shut up. Shut, zip it, zip it. And go back and pray till you get love and then come back and join the discussion. But it's so important. All the more important because... We're, we have to offer a counterexample to a lot of what's already out there, where there is arrogance and narrow-mindedness. Uh, and it just doesn't, it's not a good PR for, for Jesus. I'm going to have us close with a little short uh, prayer or a confession here. Uh, before I do that, I want to say, I, as we stand, in fact, could, could we stand here? Uh, I want to ask the prayer teams to come forward. And if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, please come up here and pray with these folks. Or if you're here this morning and you're not a devoted, committed follower of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Um, I would encourage you to consider becoming one. And if you want to find out more about that, these folks up here would love to uh, explain what it is to begin walking with, with Jesus. Uh, let's together read this as, as, as we leave this place. Uh, I'll, I'll read it, but let's all read it as one. We believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We therefore look to no other. We believe Jesus is Lord of all. So we pledge our allegiance to no other. We believe Jesus will reign forever, so we pledge no hope in any other. As we now go out into the world, we do so with a commitment to live in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Go out and love your neighbors.